For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your host, Sam Ostry, alongside Ben Dixon. We got a lot to get to today. We got the Purdue Maryland full game breakdown, which is this Thursday. We're recording this on Tuesday. It'll be released on Wednesday. So we're a couple days till tip for one of the most highly anticipated Maryland basketball games in a long time. It's sure to be a sellout, a phenomenal crowd. Number three now, Purdue comes to town on Thursday. But first, we're going to talk about this Penn State game that was this past weekend on a Saturday noon game where Maryland won by six. Um, kind of a kind of a sleepy game for both sides. First off, Ben, how are you? But what were your what were kind of your impressions from this Maryland game? Where it felt like Maryland kind of controlled the entire game, but they only won by six. Yeah, doing great, Sam. Um... Kind of like you said, a little bit of a up and down game, a little bit sleepy to start. Penn State had three points in the first, what was it? I mean, they didn't three points and six points in the first 10 minutes of the game. Um, then they really heated up. Um, I mean, first off, Penn State is, in my opinion, like a dominant big away from being a really, 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 really good team. Um, but, you know, they lack that interior presence. Jalen Pickett's kind of that, you know, all Big Ten first team guy who plays like a plays like a post player for the most part. He can he can stretch you out, but he's that presence they have in Penn State. Lit it up from three. I think that's the the my first impression from that game. It kind of felt like Penn State grabbed control a little bit to start the second half, but once Maryland kind of went on that run to to get the lead back, it felt like it was Maryland's game for seventy five percent of it um, at least. But yeah, definitely a noon game sellout crowd. Crowd was pretty good, um, all things considered. But yeah, definitely a lot to take away from this game and the fact that it was it was a noon start. I had Penn State sleepwalking a little bit. I think once they got going, turned into a good game. And I think it was a really important game for both teams in terms of Maryland avoiding a bad loss for their NCAA resume. It would have been a quad two loss. And Penn State, who's been spiraling a little bit, that was their fourth loss in a row, trying to pick up a quad one win to snap that trout. So definitely a lot on the line. I think we saw that. It was uh, very intense. Um, never really the best product of basketball, I don't think, Sunday. But um, regardless, uh, a game that came down to the wire somewhat. Yeah, Maryland was eight and a half point favorites, so pretty significant favorites entering that game. And a big part of that, you know, at least a few points you have to account for Maryland being at home because they're undefeated in conference play at home. They haven't lost. They're so much better at home than on the road, and odds makers understand that. So when they're, they're adjusting for that line, that they're, they're accounting for the fact that Maryland's at home. So I think that played part of it. But like we talked about this, but this Penn State team is kind of a difficult matchup for Maryland because Maryland's had success success going against guard, uh, going against big men in this conference, and we didn't think they would. Like their game plans against Hunter Dickinson the second time, Zach Eady, we'll talk about him a little later, uh, Trace Jackson Davis, even all these great big men. Their game plans have been pretty solid throughout the entire game. This Penn State team is an all guard lineup, pretty much. I mean, you talk about Jalen Pickett who. Who who is a p- kind of a post presence, but he can also step out and and play play a guard position and and knock down three. So he's not the dominant post presence that Maryland's accustomed to. Even though Maryland did double him quite a bit and and had success doing so, but this is a guard heavy team and they have phenomenal shooters. I mean they're the num- they atten- they made 
They have made the most threes in the entire Big Ten, and they shoot the best percentage in the entire Big Ten from three. So this is a phenomenal shooting team, and I thought this team would be way better. In the beginning of the season, they were getting all these kind of kind of big wins that for them, for this program that, that has struggled the last few years. I thought this team was a surefire tournament team. I really like them. They've really spiraled with a tough schedule in the Big Ten. And so they're probably going to be out of the tournament. I mean, right now they're, I think, five and five and eight in the Big Ten, five and nine in the Big Ten, something like that. So they're probably going to be out of the tournament um, at, at this point. But this is still a good Penn State team. And even though they came into the game sleepy for for noon tip, they kind of bounced back. They did bounce back with phenomenal three-point shooting. I mean, what they finished from three? They ended up shooting 46% from three. Luckily for Maryland, they shot 38% from three, which is, you know, when you when you're in Maryland, any day you, they could shoot 18 percent from three or 40 percent from three. You never really know, given how inconsistent they are from deep. But Penn State was phenomenal from three, not as great from two. Um, they were like 49 percent from two, something around that. But from three, they were they were phenomenal, and that's kind of what kept them in this game. Where in, in the second half they tied it up and even took a lead at one point, just based off the phenomenal three point shooting. And Maryland kind of failed to locate those three point shooters because they're so used to playing inside. They're so used to having to cover a great dominant big that they kind of lost three point shooters like an Andrew Funk, like a Seth Mundy, um, like a miles dread, like those type of guys, they just lost them. And, and those guys reined it in from deep. Yeah. Uh, Penn state five and nine in the conference to your point, I think definitely has been disappointing. The fact that they were 500 in big 10 play, they've lost four straight. Um, I think it's just part of the growing pains right now with Micah Shrewsbury um, and his team, but definitely a talented team, a team that, you know, could do a little damage toward the end of the season here and, and maybe something in the Big Ten tournament. But this is a team that's that's going to be heading to the NIT, um, bearing anything unforeseen. Um, to your point about three-point shooting, look, 12 for 26 from three. Maryland couldn't contain him. I think the one guy um, that Maryland couldn't contain, not even from three, but just that they didn't expect to, Kevin Willard gave some insight on uh, after the game, was the freshman, Kanye Clary. He had 17 points. Um, was only one of two from three, but seven of nine on every other field goal attempt he took. So he kind of created some some matchup issues from Maryland in that regard. And then, of course, Seth Lundy with three threes, Miles Drab with three threes, Andrew Funk with four threes, to your point three absolute snipers. It just feels like miles dread, even though he's probably, you know, the third best three point shooter of, of that trio is someone who Maryland fans feels like kills them every year. Um, but, you know, Maryland as, as much as they, you know, didn't contain Penn state's three point attack, 12 for 26 from three Penn state only got four free throws. And I think part of that was Maryland did a really nice job on Jalen Pickett. Um, he had, 15 points, only nine shot attempts for someone who's, you know, an all American caliber player. Um, so I think even though Maryland did get beat on the perimeter, they let up 50% of Penn state's threes, which I think is a bit uncharacteristic for a Maryland team. That's been pretty good defensively on the perimeter all year long. Um, I think the free throws definitely played into it. If, if Maryland's if Penn state's shooting 26 threes, if they make 12 of them, or if they make six of them, I think Maryland's going to be, okay with that if they only give up four free throws a game because Penn State just had no interior presence offensively Jalen Pickett was limited and you know they don't really have that true big like I mentioned to to get things going yeah and look it was a great three-point shooting offense in Penn State against a great three-point shooting defense in Maryland and when when you have a great three-point shooting offense like Penn State you want to force them into tough twos and that's what Maryland and did successfully at points in the game. That's certainly what they did to start the game, where, like you said, Penn State only scored six points through the opening like 10 minutes. So that's what they did. You want to force them into tough twos. You want to, you want to, you kind of want to make them shoot twos instead of threes because they're such a good three point shooting team. But like you, like 
you said to the point of the the, uh, the free throws and not getting to the free throw line. When you shoot a lot of threes from deep, mm-hmm. you're not really going to get foul calls as much. And that's kind of what Willard said after the game in terms of the free throw um, discrepancy. Because Maryland shot 23 free throws in the game and Penn State shot four. So that's like a massive discrepancy. But on the flip side, we heard Micah Shrewsbury, Penn State's coach, after the game, he was not happy at all with, with the officiating, not just in the game, but really the Big Ten officiating on his star Jalen Pickett. Because he was talking about Jalen Pickett really just plays in the inside and he likes to back defenders down and he likes to to pick his spots on the low post, but he's not getting called for any fouls. So it is kind of questionable. I mean, I didn't see anything blatant that he should have been called for. He only shot one free throw um, the entire game and, and shot 11 shots um, as field goals. So I didn't see anything blatant that he should, that Jalen Pickett where there was a foul on him, but it, that is a pretty remarkable discrepancy. And Michael Shrewsbury probably has a point um, in terms of the disrespect that Jalen Pickett gets just because he's not, like some huge um, guy like a Zach Eady or like a Hunter Dickinson because he's not like as tall as those guys, but he is as physically dominant in a way and he is uh, an interior presence. So it is kind of questionable in terms of how he's officiated, but that didn't really play too much into the game. I mean, Maryland was the better team. They looked more talented. They were more locked in defensively and especially at home. There was really no point, even when Penn State tied the game in that second half, there was really no point where I thought Maryland's not going to be able to take control of this game. Because when a team goes on a flurry of threes to kind of come back into the game, they're usually not going to stay as hot. You can usually adjust your defense to have harder closeouts on those three-point shooters, and Maryland kind of did that, and that's how they got back in the game. But but it started with their defense. Even though it ended up being a pretty high-scoring game, 74-68, to Maryland's defense was really the key to me in this one. Yeah, I mean, I think your point on Pickett there, he's a guy who's, you know, listed as as a point guard on Campon, plays 71% of his minutes there over the last five games. Kind of a, a unicorn in this Big Ten where you have so many dominant bigs in Zach Eady and um, Hunter Dickinson and Trace Jackson Davis. And I asked Kevin Willard after the game, like, is it more difficult to prepare for a team like Penn State who's kind of going to hit you with an arsenal of threes? Pickett's going to get his way inside more or less. But you more so got to focus on limiting that three point attack. Um, and yeah, yeah, he said he said it was difficult. It's definitely a, a change of pace um, from what Maryland has dealt with in the past. But kind of just back to your point about foul shooting real quick. Yes, Micah Shrewsbury was definitely upset with how Jalen Pickett um, has been handled. And I think just his candidness and, and him being able to stand up for his guys is something that you can appreciate as a Penn State fan or as a basketball fan if you put yourself in a fan standpoint of, of a Penn state fan or any other coach who's going to stand up for their guys like that. But Maryland took it inside. The shot selection was smarter. Julian Reese took 10 twos. Jameer Young took six twos. Hakeem Hart took six twos and Dante Scott's took six twos. So there was an aggressive game plan from that sense. And just to your point about Maryland's defensive effort, while yes, they got beat on the perimeter. They didn't force Penn state to take tough twos. Um, it was, you know, impressive. You give up 40 points in the second half. Not great by any means. But to start the game, it, honestly, Sam, it felt a little bit similar. Not the exact recipe as we've seen with Maryland games. But, you know, Maryland going down 15 nothing to Michigan State. Coming back and making a game, even taking the lead before losing. Maryland going down whatever it was, 21-10 or whatever it was to Purdue on the road. Um, coming back to make it a game. Didn't take the lead, but was in one, were within one possession and didn't end up getting the win. That recipe kind of Penn State buried itself in a hole um, early on. I think you have to credit Maryland's defense. Maryland was able to get in passing lanes. Um, these live ball turnovers were, you know, absolutely crucial. Maryland had what seventeen yeah. points off of thirteen Penn State turnovers. Yeah. 
look, the three-point yeah. shooting, the three-point perimeter defense, certainly something that Kevin Lillard's not going to be happy with. But to able, able to capitalize on those live ball turnovers, limit any sort of other offense for Penn State, it, it was certainly a successful defensive performance in my eyes um, if you take out yeah, and, the fact that and, Penn State played a perfect game in terms of road shooting and you still got the win. And one thing about those turnovers were, were not a lot of them were on the press, but surprisingly, Penn State had a really difficult time kind of breaking Maryland's press and they mm-hmm. they their pressure got to them and that's pretty surprising given it's a really guard heavy lineup but they really couldn't handle Maryland's pressure especially at home I do think the lethargic start start that we're talking about on Penn State side a lot of it has to do with number one playing on the road but then playing on the road for a noon tip I mean that's tough to get up for yeah. so like but even though Maryland, Penn State had such a bad start Maryland really couldn't capitalize in the beginning and Maryland at halftime was only up by three points and it felt like through the first 10 minutes, like Maryland should be up by like 20 at this point. But Maryland really couldn't capitalize. And there was a point in the second half when I was looking at the stats and Penn State had more points in the paint than Maryland at at one point in the second half. And when you look at the, the game total, Maryland ended up having 28 points in the paint and Penn State only at 20. But there was a point in the second half where Penn State had more. And I was like, like, what's going on here? Like why it's depends to Maryland's offense why isn't Maryland taking in the paint? Why isn't Julian Reese having one of his dominant games? Why aren't you running design sets for Julian Reese to get post touches, for Akeem Hart to get post touches, for Dante Scott to get post touches? But as the game went on, that completely flipped. And it goes back to the point of our three-point shooting that we talk about all the time, where Maryland's better when they're attacking the basket and limiting their three-point shots. In the first half, and, Mar- and Maryland shot well from three, no doubt about it. But in the first half, Maryland shot 11 threes, four for 11 from three. 36%, which isn't bad at all. But in the second half, Maryland only shot five threes. It's the difference every single time. The first half, Maryland scored 31 total points, shooting 11 threes. Second half, Maryland scored 43 total points, shooting five threes. It's it, limiting those three-point attempts and getting in the lane and getting points in the paint, especially against a team that doesn't have a huge big or, or prominent big like Penn State. And so that's really when that game flipped for me because a lot of the stuff they were running was Jameer Young off the ball, Hakeem Hart was running some point guard, but he was also a lot of the plays for Hakeem Hart were to get him post touches where he could just back down his defender and go to work. Dante Scott, he had a he had a good game. What did he finish with? He had nine, but not not a particularly great game. But but when he was successful, it was his points were coming from the paint. He wasn't launching threes. There was design sets for him to get touches in the mid post. He backs down the littler littler defender and just gets easy hook shots. Same thing with Julian Reese who had a pretty good game. He was four for 10 from three. So not particularly efficient, but he did have 11 points. Um, and, and that was that. So that was huge for me. It was getting the points in the paint. And that, that when that script completely flipped, that's when I was like, okay, Maryland's going to win this game. As long as they stick to this plan of dominating a, a team that's smaller than you, because you don't see a lot of those for Maryland, in the big 10, when you have a team that's smaller than you and limiting the three point attempts, even though they shot well from three. Yeah. I'm starting to think this is the only thing that's, you know, it, it might just be obvious to us and no one else because we talk about it every single week. I wrote a whole piece on it, which is a, a few games outdated. But now, I mean, I think the data remains true now. Um, I calculated before last week's pod, and that was certainly the case. Look, you take 11 threes in the first half. It's not a recipe for success. This team is not a good three-point shooting team. You go six for 16, that's awesome. And it means you took five threes in the second half. They were smart. You made two of them which is, you know, fine, 40% from three in the second half. You got to take smart shots. Like, how many times are we going to see 
Don Carey chuck up a three or, or Dante Scott settle for three. I mean, he was one for four from three in the first half. That's not the recipe for him. We know the recipe for him. You could te- check out his Sam's uh, film review on him from November, December. It's it's very easy when guys like Dante Scott and Hakeem Hart are at their best, what you see from them. Uh, obviously, Hakeem Hart had a, had a great game against Penn State. We'll get into that, I'm sure. But Maryland right now is shooting 30.4% from three as a team. They're the 335th best three-point shooting team in the country out of 363 Division One teams. It's terrible. So when you could take 11 threes in the first half on your home floor, despite having such a, a good defensive effort, Maryland could have buried Penn State in the first 10 minutes of the game if they were smarter. Yeah, so, and like, no, and just real, real quick, like to your point, 16 threes is probably a reasonable amount for this team. To no take. doubt. But when you're on pace for 22, when you're shooting 11 in the first half, that's the problem. But then you, you readjust, you say, okay, let's get to the basket. Let's not shoot as many threes. Let's stop chucking threes. That's the smart adjustment um, that, that's been made at certain times. But 16 threes is probably a good amount. If you're shooting more than that and you're shooting more than that, you're just going to like regress to the mean. And you're going to become a worse three point shooting team than this team than this team showed because they were thirty with thirty eight percent like you just thirty percent on the season. So if the more you shoot, the more you're going to regress to the mean, and the more you're just going to launch threes and miss them, and that's going to hurt your offense. So shooting, limiting your three point attempts, and focusing on getting in the lane, especially against a Penn State team, like I said earlier, that doesn't have a big. There's not some great big rim protector that you need to game plan for where you got to set screen and rolls to get them get them out on the perimeter or bring them away from the basket this is a penn state team that didn't have a lot of bigs it doesn't really have any real bigs or rim protectors so getting to the lane was so important when they made that adjustment and they started backing their guys down because keep akeem hart had a matchup advantage dante scott had a matchup advantage jimmy young struggled in the beginning but he ended up having a matchup advantage um so that that's kind of the key when when they do those things. Yeah, and you look at Hakeem and Don, uh, or Hakeem and Dante, excuse me. These are two guys who are at their best, have been labeled matchup nightmares. I think now it's more true for Hakeem, who just really excels slashing towards the hoop. Dante's kind of got that bread and butter um, hook shot in the in the mid post and low post. Um, his shooting hasn't been that great. Hakeem's hasn't been great all season either, but he actually had a good shooting game um, against Penn State. Look, this team is so much better when it's attacking the rim. Jameer Young is one of the best in the entire country at getting by as a defender and attacking the rim. Even against Penn State, a smaller team, to your point, which that should have been the game plan all along. Look, you, you talked about it in your Jameer Young film review. They were able to get Zach Eady messed up in pick-and-roll situations. Like, this team, uh, Jameer and Juju are getting better at the uh, pick-and-roll game in and game out, it seems. This is a team that when it attacks the hoop, it is at its best offensively. And it's it's a really simple recipe. I know these guys love shooting threes and, and you know, the open ones you'll capitalize like they did in the second half against Penn State. And they made what, like six for 16 from three, like you said, for uh, 38 percent. Not terrible, but, you know, it should be eight and eight per half. Not you put you put forth a great defensive effort in the first half and you kind of bury yourself a little bit because you're jacking up threes and you're not able to extend the lead. The identity is there. The team's just got to follow it. And I, I think I think you can take it anywhere, too. And I, I think against and, Purdue, they'll, they'll learn. We'll get into the preview, but I think and, they'll and, learn and some from that. You say, like, when we're the only ones that understand it, like, they understand it. I know the coaching staff understands it. I know the players understand it. But here's what happens way too often is they'll come out, start shooting a bunch of threes, and, and kind of just test the waters, be like, okay, is this going to be our three-point? Is Are we going to be hot from three today? Are we going to be cold from three today? Like, like, let's kind of 
test it in the beginning of the game. And then you've seen this so often as the game goes on. If Dante's struggling from three, he'll focus more on getting to the paint. Jameer Young will limit his attempts from three. Keem Hart will limit his attempts from three. As a team, they'll just focus more on getting to the lane and, and getting downhill instead of shooting threes. But that's never how it is to start the game. They're always coming out, kind of testing those waters. Like, are we going to be hot from three today? Or are we going to be cold from three today? And like we said, like this is a very bad three-point shooting team. So if they stick to that formula and, and their identity of, of we're going to take good quality threes, but those are going to be off of driving kicks, not just chucking them up especially early in the shot clock. If they stick to that identity from the from the opening tip and, and use it for 40 minutes, this team would be in way better shape offensively instead of just using it as the game goes on 10 minutes in after testing the waters or just kind of making the adjustment in the second half. Not even a question. Um, I think I think we both kind of hit the nail on the head there. It seems like we're, we have this discussion every week, by the way. About because we do, because, because it's it's prominent every single week, every single game almost. Right. I, I, of course, I'm I'm saying it's it's not a bad thing for us to be having this conversation because it's it seems like they've kind of figured it out. Um, and, or, you know, we know like the solution board and, and they, you know, figured it out against Penn State on the road. It's been a little bit less of or a little bit more of just jacking threes and, and you know, not getting in that rhythm. Um, but we'll see, man. It, it's it's definitely frustrating um, just just from a neutral perspective. Um if you just look at the stats and, and you see that Maryland's a bottom 33 point shooting team in the country and they're jacking, it, it's definitely a little frustrating in that regard. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's all I have to say about that. I think, we, I think we do have to dive into Hakeem's performance. There. Yeah. That's, and that's what was, I was going to go next. That's really was, the last thing. Yeah. That's really just the last thing. Um, I mean, Jameer Young struggled in the beginning in the first half. He only had five points. He ended up with 18 for the game, so 13 in the second half. When he got going, the offense got going. But Akeem Hart was the star of the game. I mean, it was he had 23 points, his career high in a Big Ten game. He was incredibly efficient, 8 for 10 from the field. And he struggled in recent weeks shooting the three ball, but he was 2 for 4 from 3 for 50%. So, so that was encouraging as well. But he really just kind of took advantage of any matchup um, that he had where if people were doubling on him, he was doing a great job of, of kicking out in the low post, in the mid post. But for the most part, he was play, he was being guarded in single coverage, and he just bullied anyone who, who was guarding him into the lane for easy buckets. He was doing a great job of penetrating. Again, like I said, he, he was finding his, the right three balls to take, and, and he was making them. He, it was just a clinical effort from him where he was playing a lot of the point guard. Like this game, you know, when the ball is in his hands, he's very efficient and he can score. He's kind of more like a slasher guy and the ball isn't, there's not as design, as many design plays as there are for Dante or Jameer in the pick and roll, obviously. But Hakeem, when Hakeem has the ball in his hands, he's very methodical. He kind of just probes the defense. He's a good passer to him. And he finished with four assists and five rebounds. So he filled the stat sheet. Um, it wasn't just points, but he just did a great job of getting to his spots picking the right spots to shoot the ball because 10 shots is not like a remarkable amount of shots, but he, he made eight of them and he was just, it was one of the best performances I've seen from him. Um, just in terms of how he broke down the defense and, and picked his spots and, and was incredibly efficient from the full. Yeah. And this is a guy who's on the floor for the majority of the game too. played 38 plus minutes against Penn state 39 against Michigan state. Well, Got a little bit of a break against Minnesota, only had to play 22 because of the way that game went. 38 against Indiana, 37 against Wisconsin two games earlier, 38 against Purdue the last time, all 40 against Michigan in the win. Like he, 
I think it's it's come to light a little bit recently. And, you know, we always talk about Hakeem as a guy who, you know, his shooting has, has not been as great this season, but he's a guy who's really, you know, does all the right things on the floor. When he gets, you know, that single coverage, like you said, and he gets a favorable offensive matchup, he's able to take advantage of it. We know how good he is defensively. And, and I, I think it's definitely rewarding to see him have a game like that. Um, it was definitely one of the highlights in, in that post-game press conference with him. But, you know, I, I just think he personally, as, as someone who's been there for four years and and someone who's not always necessarily the star of the show, but someone who plays a key cog every game in Maryland's wins, um, you know, good for him to have that type of performance. Um, two for four for yeah, three, especially his first game with two three-point makes since that game against Illinois where he hit five in, on December 2nd. So it's been a long time coming yeah, since he I mean, shot yeah, that that's, three. That was the six first Big Ten game two. of the season. Yeah. And then and then six for six from two. I mean, like you like you said, um, he he was able to take out to the hoop with ease. He's a little bit of a, a a matchup difficulty for defensive guys because he can he can stretch you out all over the floor. And he, his it just seems like his driving and, and slashing ability towards the hoop just keeps getting better. Yeah, and it's encouraging. I, like I don't know if, if these type of performances are going to keep up simply because the ball was in his hands that game way more than it usually is. Like, and, and Kevin Willard talked about it after the game. He kind of said like Jameer Young was expending so much energy defensively. I kind of wanted to take the ball out of his hands, and they put it into Keem Hart's hands. But for the most part, the team is best when J- when Jameer Young Jameer Young has the ball in his hands. So, so I don't know if these Keem Hart's performances are gonna are gonna keep up in terms of the the points. Um, in terms of the point production, just because he's not going to have the ball as much, not going to have as much opportunity as much. But the three-point shooting, if he can stay consistent from three, and like you said, like he's only he's supposed to be a, a good three-point shooter, and the only other time he hit two threes in the Big Ten in a Big Ten game this year was the very first one of the season back in the beginning of December. So that's pretty jarring. But if he can, if he can continue to stay hot from three and then become a consistent three-point shooter down the stretch of the season, it really does change the dynamic of the game. Because we also should mention, like, he's Maryland's best perimeter defender by far. Mm-hmm. He does so much on defense for this team. He's consistently in there for the rebounds. He does he does a lot of the little things that just don't show up on the box score. So he's incredibly valuable to this team. But if, if this point production and shooting consistency um, can kind of keep up as the rest of the way goes on, this Maryland team is going to be in much better shape. No doubt. I mean, just just the guy who's ultra important to this team's success in all regards. I'm happy you mentioned his perimeter defense because you know people got on Dante Scott a little bit for that, and, and towards that end of uh, that Michigan State game, this team's going to need him in all aspects. Um, you know, they're going to go as far as Jameer takes him, but there may not be a more important player down the stretch than Hakeem in terms of look. You get what you get from Jameer. Juju, who's gotten better, has, is able to take his matchup inside. You're going to need someone else to kind of key that supporting cast. And Hakeem Hart has has become that guy as of now. And and um, if those performances continue, maybe not even 23 points. If, if he, he's even a 10-point-per-game score the rest of the way and it shoots 40% from three if he keeps up that defense and, and you know, the clutch baskets in, in terms of making the right play offensively, um, this this team will be in good shape. Yeah, is, is there anything else from this game? Um, it was interesting. I will just say the game before this one, Don Carey didn't play the enti- against Michigan State. Don Carey didn't play the entire second half. Um, so there were some question marks about, and he was healthy, he was available. So there were some question marks about the the minutes between him versus Ian Martinez. But Don Carey was right back in the starting lineup. Um, him and Willard kind of had some conversations that it was just, he kind of just, Willard kind of just told him, like, I want to go with something else, give a little different spark. We felt like we needed a spark. So, 
Don Carey didn't play the second half against Michigan State, but against Penn State, he was right back in the starting lineup, back in the rotation. But there, and he, and he shot two for four from three, one two for four from the field, one for three um, from three, and had five points. But their minutes were pretty much a hundred percent even. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Don Carey played twenty one minutes, Ian Martinez played twenty minutes, and Ian Martinez had eight points, and he was two for two from the field and four for four from the free throw line. So I think Don Carey is the starter moving forward. I don't think he's going to tinker the starting lineup, but you might see Martinez playing more in crunch time minutes and just playing more minutes than him overall, depending on how on the game flow and how it's going. Because if Don Carey, and he wasn't bad against Penn State, he just didn't do too much. But if he's not being productive, there's really no point of him being on the floor and Ian Martinez should be the guy. But if Don Carey has a day where he just comes out three for four from three, then you're going to ride the hot hand and go with Don Carey. Um, but I really think it's gonna be a game by game basis thing. But Ian Martinez is is in prime position to take most of or a lot of, of Don Carey minutes that he was getting earlier on in the season. Hundred percent. I'm happy you mentioned that. I also wanted to mention Patrick Million, the guy who's you know didn't score against Penn State, but has been that ind- indispensable guy defensively um, and just offensive rebounds and things of that nature as well. He played the majority of the last, you know, if we split the game into four quarters and we talk about the last 10 minutes of the game, he played the majority of that in place of uh, Juju Reese. He came in at the 949 mark of the second half, came out at the 412 mark, and then came back in at the 214 to finish it out, um, which I thought was interesting. Definitely not, you know, the end-all be-all type of thing. I think he Willard probably thought he was a better matchup down the stretch for a smaller team like Penn State. Um, and Juju only played 25 minutes. Um, a million played 17. So a little bit interesting there. Don't think that's an indictment on, on Juju or anything or anything like that. Um, I think that was more of a matchup thing. But maybe going forward, if, if it comes to March um, and you play a smaller team, a team where you think a million might have more of an advantage, just being able to to stretch from the perimeter, not from an offensive standpoint, but just from, you know, a smaller, maybe a little bit more of a, a quicker, stronger guy than Juju. Um, who knows? Maybe that's the case um, down the stretch. Something to keep in mind there. I also just wanted to read out one thing. Um, great analytical site, uh, evanmia.com, Evan evanmia.com, uh, excuse me. Maryland's best five-man lineup this season has been, has consisted of Jameer, Ian Martinez, Hakeem Hart, a million, and Julian Reese. So I guess maybe that's only been fifty-two possessions, but I wonder if that's something. Yeah, that's a that's a really small at. sample. Really size. small sample size, but uh, what's the second best lineup? Uh, let me let me pull that back up one sec. Um, I will. That, that was that, that was the up. best five man. It just had the best two man, three man, four man, and five man. Um, oh, it doesn't give like what's the best second best no, I, the five I, man. I I think I might need a subscription. Yeah, because that's way that too one, small but... of a sample size. Because we have seen at times Patrick Million and Julian Reese on the court together. But really, not enough to know right, if that's right. the formula for success, and it also uh, Matt, it depends on the opponent's lineup at the time. So that that's a really no, of course, of course. I more I more just wanted to bring that up as as just you know the the ongoing discussions we've had about the bench and and maybe the weaknesses that we thought or perceived at the beginning of the season. Now you basically have Ian Martinez as a sixth starter and Patrick Gamillion, who you know Coach Willard clearly feels he can trust in there. Um, yeah. Big and moments then, closing the game. So, and the last thing, as we just talked about this rotation, is it's really just seven man rotation at this point, which I think we expected in the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. And um, you kind of most college basketball teams who don't have, and most college basketball teams don't have a ton of bench depth as the season goes on and as you approach March, you kind of cut the rotation down to seven. Jahari Long did play four minutes. He had zero stats. He's really kind of fallen out of the rotation in terms of meaningful minutes. Um, 
but maybe he'll play sporadically for two or three minute shifts, kind of just relieve Jameer Young or relieve um, Hakeem Hart or someone uh, for a little bit. But it really is just uh, Ian Martinez and Patrick Emelian playing significant minutes all the, off the bench. No Bachelor has completely found out, fallen out of the lineup, which was expected, even though he was he was getting in most games, even if it was just kind of short shifts. Um, Started that Rutgers game. Yeah, yeah. That's funny to look back. Didn't on. do much. But, nah. but yeah. uh but yeah, yeah. So I mean this rotation really is seven. And you know, as the Big Ten tournament approaches where you have back to back to back, I mean, depending on how far you go, but you're playing every single day. This team, I mean, they look like they're in good shape. I'm not questioning that at all, but this is a team where Jameer Young, Dante Scott, Akeem Hart are consistently playing at least 37, 38, 39 minutes every single game. And when they're at their best, they're pressing off made made baskets. So I don't really question this team's um, fatigue or, or, or how well of shape they're in because they've proven they are. But when you're playing back-to-backs, I mean, that, that's going to be really tough when you have virtually no bench um, help to go to and your guys are playing pretty much the entire game while pressing. But just something to keep an eye on as we approach the Big Ten tournament, which, which is coming up pretty soon. So th- that's going to be tough. But Yeah, I mean, that's a valid point for NCAAs as well. Um, is it sustainable? Um, who knows? Because, but if this team is pressing and these guys are getting gassed, it, it means that good things are probably happening for the, for the offense because they're able to press off uh, off made buckets. We'll see. That's that's definitely an, an interesting point. One that I hadn't uh, thought of up until now. It will be. It's. I don't know if this team is built for the uh, the tournament environment. I know we'll we'll get into it, but yeah, not a, not a very deep team at all. And and you know these starters are guys who are on the floor for 35 plus for the most part. Um, so yeah, happy, happy you brought that up. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's it for the Penn state game and we will talk about the big 10 tournament, but way down the line, I'm sure we'll have a great preview for that. Maybe we'll do some live podcasts from Chicago. It's a good idea. Just Maybe. thought. Of, yeah, that is a good, that's um, good but yeah, so we'll, we'll give you all the big 10 um, tournament stuff as that gets closer. But before then, Maryland probably has their biggest game of the year, at least in terms of, they're from the home crowds perspective, from the student energy perspective, from the alumni energy perspective. Number three, Purdue is coming to town. This wasn't last week. This was the number one team in the country, Purdue. But this past week, they lost to Northwestern, which was the last game that they're, they've played before coming to Maryland. So it's kind of took a little bit of the juice out of the matchup, but it's still number three team in the country coming to College Park. Um there's not a line out yet, but Purdue's surely going to be favored. I don't know about how much. We're kind of going to find yeah. out how. What, what are you right now, say? right now, Ken Palm's got Purdue 68-67 as of Tuesday at 1 p.m. 68-67? Yep. That's one point. Yep. That is. <laughs> I would expect Purdue point. to be. I mean, that that's significant edge to Maryland's home corner advantage, and they deserve it. But one point, I would, I, I would, my line would be like four points for Purdue. Um, but first, we're going to break down the game last time they played as part of this preview. But what, what are you kind of expecting at this perspective from, from all that? Um, it's going to be a wild atmosphere. I, I think it does. It takes a little bit of the juice out of it. That Purdue lost to Northwestern, who, you know, by the way, North, congrats to Northwestern. They'll be making their second NCAA tournament ever after that win against Purdue Sunday. Um, Purdue's lost two or three. It's still, you know, Arguably one of the it's definitely the most highly anticipated home game of the Kevin Willard era. I don't think that's a question um, at all. And probably the most highly anticipated home game since. I don't know uh, that Michigan game or, or yeah, Illinois. Illinois game. was pretty highly anticipated earlier this year. It, just because it, 
it was a ranked matchup, and it was like, all right, this program's back because Maryland was undefeated at the time. Yeah, we can, you know, we can split hairs on that one and argue that was definitely highly anticipated. But that's look, that's December basketball. This is yeah this is February. This is this is where where winners are made. If Maryland, if Maryland look, we think Maryland's going to the tournament. If Maryland wins this game, it is punching its ticket to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it already did. I think I think it's more about seeding. Like if Maryland yeah. wins this game, they could be a on five or six line. We'll see. I, I don't. I don't want to get too far ahead, but I'm. I'm. I'm excited for the, the atmosphere Thursday night. I, I know people bearing weather are planning to to be camping out outside the Xfinity Center all day. Willard said he's bringing. He's bringing the campus he said, food. He said. He said he's bringing food. Um, whether that's Lido pizza, Krispy Kreme, who knows? Uh, what he's going to be bringing there? But look, highly anticipated. Players are going to get up to the for this one. Purdue has what four days off between Maryland has five. So. Look, these teams are going to be, you know, preparing their best. Teams have already played each other. We'll we'll talk about that first game a little bit. Um, but yeah, really excited for this game. I know there's a lot of alumni coming down from other parts of the country to be in Maryland for this one. Um, the student section, of course, sold out. Um, let me get a count real quick of how the gen there's 851 tickets available for the general public as of Tuesday, February 14th at 1.15 p.m. So about 48, 54 hours before tip-off. Um, so I'm expecting another sellout, back-to-back sellouts. Wonder when the last time that happened. I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, it should be, should be a great uh, atmosphere. I'm ready to get into the uh, the actual game here, though. Let's yeah, go. Let's do that because, I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be rocking. It's going to be incredible. Um, I expect it to be a close game. The, since this Maryland team, let's look, last time Maryland played Purdue was January 22nd. It was a classic Maryland road game where they went down big early, got off to a horrible start. They trailed by 14 at halftime. But like we've seen from Maryland on the road all season, they battled back in the game completely. I mean, it was, it was a very close game at the very end. They, they were down one at one point. They ended up being down three with 10 seconds left. Uh, Kevin Willard draws up a pretty well-designed play that was executed pretty well, but it was for Don Carey in the corner, who was one for five for three at the time. And he missed the... Um, the, the three wasn't even close. It was, an, it was an open corner three. and It was an air ball, and that effectively ended the game for Maryland. Um, but but they almost they almost upset uh the, this Purdue team that was is by far the best team in the Big Ten. They're going to be runaways for the Big Ten regular season title. They're going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, bearing complete breakdown. Um, as as the the year comes to a close. But this is a really good Purdue team that Maryland almost beat. Since then. Purdue has lost twice. Once to Indiana, which is a top 15 team in the country right now, by five at Indiana. And then just this past Sunday, they lost by six to Purdue on the road, or excuse me, to Northwestern on the road. Um, so so this is a Purdue team that when Maryland played them, they looked like they were like nobody could beat them. They'd one loss in the entire season, which was very earlier in the year to to Rutgers, I believe. Yeah, it was to Rutgers, a one-point loss. It was a crazy game. It didn't look, it looked like this Purdue team was unbeatable. Maryland comes in and they almost upset them. And now we've seen two other teams uh, upset them in the Big Ten. So this is a winnable game for Maryland. What are kind of like your expectations just in terms of, of the matchup? Uh, um, and I guess we'll do predictions later, but what are your kind of expectations of the matchup? Yeah, I mean, I, I would expect, I mean, they have to. Purdue has to get more from its supporting cast around Zach Eady. Look, he had his 24 and 16 against Julian Reese, who, you know, 
almost matched that with with 19 points. That I think that was the best game we've seen him play. I'm sure you'd agree with that one. Um, but look, they need something. I think there's a little bit of concern with Purdue's backcourt of Foster Lawyer and Braden Smith, both freshmen. Um, Foster Lawyer had seven in that first matchup. Braden Smith had eight. So they combined for 15 points um, and three for 12 from the field. Um, or three for 13 from the field, excuse me. So that's that's certainly, if that happens again, Maryland's going to win this game in, in Xfinity Center. I have no doubt about that. Um, and look, that was a little bit of the concern with the Northwestern game too. Spraden Smith had 10. Um, he only made one field goal though. And Fletcher Lawyer had two points. So that that freshman backcourt, you know, you don't, you don't usually win with freshman guards in March. I think that's been something that's been, you know, a common trend in college basketball, or at least a stereotype. I don't have the data to back it up right now in terms of, you know, something that may be um, a, a harmful to a team that's looking to make a big run, no matter how good, you know, their big man be might be or anything like that. So I think that's one thing specifically I'm looking out for um, just the freshman backcourt to start because they need something outside of Edie Sam. They just, they have to get it because um, Edie's going to get his, he gets his, Every single game, I I mean, maybe Juju plays uh, to the level he did against him uh, against Edie the first time, but look, that freshman backcourt's got to be better for Purdue, and Purdue was two for thirteen from three, so uh, I both those things have to improve if if Purdue's going to get the win on the road in a hostile environment. Yeah, one of the things for me is is the three point battle. I think that's going to be crucial, and it's really such a toss up. Purdue shoots thirty three percent. Um, they're shooting through 33% from three on the year. So, so that's a pretty good number. It's not particularly great, but they're better than what they showed the first time Maryland played. So that's kind of the concern for me from Maryland's perspective is, okay, Maryland only won, or excuse me, only lost by three, but Purdue shot 15% from the field. And as you just went through the supporting cast, like again, like Zach Eady had a good game, 24 and 16, looks like a monstrous game, but for Zach Eady, it really wasn't because he was 10 for 17 from the field. And it, it wasn't he wasn't particularly efficient. Maryland made him work for a lot of those buckets. But it was really the supporting cast that I'm looking at. And not a single player scored in double figures. You know, you backcourt and, and they, their freshman backcourt really struggled. And, and you've, you've seen them struggle in a couple of their losses this season. So that that's kind of from the Maryland perspective. It's like, OK, you, you almost beat them by three the first time you played. But their supporting cast was horrible. And they shot 15 percent from three which you really don't expect to happen again, even in a hostile road environment like it's going to be in College Park. 15% from three is really hard. But on the flip side, Maryland shot 14% from three, which was even worse. Somehow, some way, Maryland shot even worse from three. Maryland shoots just a little bit better from three, 20% even, which isn't good at all. They, they probably win that game. So that's why it's really tough to kind of use that first matchup um, as the standard because both teams just really struggle from three. But what we do know is, Purdue's a pretty good average three-point shooting team. Um, they're somewhere in the middle of the pack of the Big Ten, um, but they're not particularly great. Maryland is a bad three-point shooting team. At home, they shoot it better at home than on the road. But they're still just a bad three-point shooting team. So what you expect to change from the first matchup of this one is I would expect for Purdue to shoot way better from three and Maryland to shoot better from three because it's hard to shoot worse than 14%. But I don't know about how much too I don't know how how much better they're going to shoot from three. But here's the thing, like Maryland's game plan was defensively was perfect and it needs to be the same. And I, I know I'm sure I know Matt Painter is watching the film and trying to adjust to see how they're going to kind of use that game plan and where Maryland Maryland's game plan was pretty much this. Let everyone else let Zach Eady 
beat you, but make everyone else try to make everyone else beat you. If that makes sense, I'm, I'm kind of saying it in a weird way, but it's like we're gonna let Zach Eady get his buckets. He's gonna score. He's so dominant. There's really no way you're gonna stop him. You don't want him going for forty, but he's gonna get his buckets, and we're okay with that. What we don't want is everyone else beating you. Make everyone else beat us. And that's kind of what they did, and nobody on Purdue supporting cast could beat them. So that's a similar game plan to that, um, where they're constantly doubling Zach Eady on every post touch from all different kinds of angles, forcing him into tough baskets, but also forcing him to kick out to to, to supporting cast and to shooters and make those guys beat you. That That's what Maryland needs to do again, because their defensive game plan was perfect. It was really the offense that really struggled in the first matchup. So if they can execute that defensive game plan in a similar way, and I'm sure Matt Painter will, will try to have adjustments, they're going to be set up for success. No doubt. Um, look, since that Michigan game, and, and Willard kind of mentioned the turning point of the season was that whatever happened in the locker room in, in second in the before the second half of that Purdue game. Excuse me. Um, the team defense in, down low has been unbelievable. Like Juju was really good matching up against Edie and playing with foul trouble. But like he wasn't on his own. Like he the t- the team defense sending doubles at Edie, especially. I think it was their best team defense of the year down low was against Hunter Dickinson in that, um, in that second game, excuse me, in college park. Um, so, so we'll see, I think if that continues and to your point about the three point shooting, it's, it's not going to be that bad for Purdue. Um, you hope it's not that bad for Maryland. I don't think Maryland's aiming to take 21 threes. They might have to just because of the the defensive nightmare that Purdue um, presents with Zach Eady. I'm, I'm sure they're going to try and get him in pick and roll, but even with that, even for a seven four guy, he's got pretty good awareness defensively and and the ability to extend to to a certain extent for a guy his size. Um, we'll see. I also think something that's going to be a big change, Sam, is you play Penn State, who's literally the worst offensive rebounding team in the entire country, three hundred sixty third in offensive rebound percentage per Ken Palm. And then you play Purdue with Edie, who's the best. So it's you're going from one, you know. You yeah. game plan with Penn State to one that you've had before, but it's complete opposite than what you had a- against Penn State. And you can't replicate what Zach Eady does in practice. You just can't. Maybe maybe Grant gets down low with with the pad like he does every every, uh, every practice. We see him, Grant Billmeyer, and, and and he he shoves people over and pretends he's Zach Eady. But it, it's it's hard to replicate preparing for Purdue, even with you know big dominant teams in the league like Indiana and Michigan. But I think the fact that they went to Mackey. Played him within three points. Edie was really good, but it wasn't, you know, necessarily like he didn't completely wow you. I think you learn a lot from that game and, and try to replicate as much as you can. Yeah, and to the rebounding battle point, you're not going to win the rebounding battle against Purdue. No. It's it's how much are you going to lose it by, and you want to lose it by a, a reasonable margin. Like like you just talked about Penn State. Yeah, that's a game you're going to win the rebounding battle. And Maryland's done a pretty good job rebounding. They're not like a bad rebounding team by any stretch of the measure. They don't get out-rebounded by some of these big teams like we've seen. But Maryland only lost the rebounding battle by 10. And they still could have won that game easily. And because you do want to limit Edie. You want to get as many bottles, bodies as him as possible when um, when a shot goes up. But Maryland, I mean, excuse me, Purdue only had 14 second-chance points against Maryland the first time. And Maryland, 13. So, yeah, you want to limit those second-chance points. But... And limit um, per, uh, Ed getting some of those offensive rebounds, but like if you're only losing the rebound margin by ten, you're still in a good position to win the game, and you're not going to win the rebounding. You want you need to control the glass, 
and you can't lose the rebounding margin by like 20, 25 and give up all these offensive rebounds, rebounds, like you can't expect to win the rebounding margin. That's not something that I'm looking at as like, that's going to be the difference necessarily because Zach Eady is so dominant and Purdue as a whole rebounding the basketball is just so good that that's not something I really expect. Just looking at the offensive rebounding numbers on, excuse me, the first time these teams played Purdue had 15 offensive rebounds, Maryland had 13. Like the rebounding was not an issue the first time these teams played. And I don't really expect it to be this time either. So the point about the offense Zach Eady and Purdue love to play drop coverage against almost any pick and roll because Zach Eady's when the roll man who's Zach Eady's going to be guarding Julian Reese. When Julian Reese goes up and sets a screen on Jameer Young's man, Zach Eady is not going full um, all the way up to set that screen with him. He's hanging out in the paint because he's playing um, drop coverage. And Maryland really needs to take advantage of that. It's hard because Eady is so long and he covers so much distance with his wingspan, but Jameer Young is going to have to have a good day shooting the ball off the dribble. And I told you this stat, but I haven't, and I wrote it in my film breakdown today about Jameer Young, but I haven't said on this podcast yet. Jameer Young is shooting 23% on no dribble spot at threes this season, but he's shooting 39% on threes off the dribble this season. That's a remarkable discrepancy in how good he is as a shooter off the dribble versus spot up no dribble. So when you're coming off a pick and roll, you're going to be off the dribble. And if Zach Eady's in drop coverage, you need to take advantage of that. You want him, you need to, Jameer Young is going to have to shoot and make a lot of those threes and even mid-range jumpers off the pick and roll to force Zach Eady away from the basket because they're never going to switch those screens. They're going to play drop coverage. So if you get Zach Eady away from the basket um, by by forcing him to come out and guard you, if you're, if you're making threes off the pick, off the pick and roll, then that takes away his presence in the paint and it opens up a lot for a lot of other defenders. So that's kind of the key offensively. And we saw Maryland do a little bit of that as the game went on against Purdue the first time, but that's going to have to be a key offensively um, is kind of get Zach Eady away from the basket instead of just chucking up threes because his presence in the paint is so daunting that you're not going to drive as much. No, Dan, I think with... Jameer, it's a great point you mentioned about Ed falling back, and and Jameer's got to take advantage of that mid range because that floater has been so good at at some points of of the year, and and even be able to finish over guys like Ed, um, and then that that you know just jump stop little uh off the dribble pull up in the mid range as well. Look, Jameer was four for eighteen in in the field against um Purdue, zero for six from three. It's I can't imagine he's going to play like that. I'd imagine he's going to have a, a vintage home game. I think he's going to, you know, like the team is doing, kind of throw away his film from the last game against Purdue, learn from it, learn what's made him so effective in Big Ten as, as he's kind of gotten better with the league game by game. And I, I think you'll see a, a better, more, you know, direct blueprint for him to take advantage of the mid-range take advantage of that float game because it's going to be there and you know we've talked about the pick and roll as well and and, and ed falling back to drop coverage like you said um there, there's a chance for jameer to do some major damage here and and i think it also helps juju from a you know confidence perspective and, and just the fact that he was able to have that performance against ed the first time i think maryland's got to got to be pretty confident at home because you're not going to shoot as bad as you did in in west lafayette Jameer's not going to have as bad of an offensive game efficiency-wise as he had in West Lafayette. So, look, I, I think I think Maryland's going to be confident, and I think the points you brought up definitely play a role in it. Um, 
and they'll learn from it as as will Purdue and I'm I'm sure they're going to find ways to get that supporting cast going but Maryland's got to be confident based off what they did in that first game and and you know some of these maybe quote-unquote easy adjustments and and learning from things throughout Big Ten play and that film um, that could improve on Thursday. Yeah, Julian Reese is is going to be huge. I mean, he's going to be the key. It's going to be really hard to replicate a 19 point performance again um, in 34 minutes. Even though he had four, he finished with four fouls in that game. That was in some foul trouble. It's going to be really hard to replicate that performance. But you don't necessarily need that. You need a strong Julian Reese performance, especially defensively. Like, yes, we talked about how great Maryland was at sending doubles and timely doubles and from the right angles to kind of limit Edie, but it all the single coverage. I mean, if Edie gets paint touches right next to the basket and he gets his catches exactly where he wants, it doesn't matter if you send the double. He can immediately do his thing. It's about Julian Reese getting in position where where kind of shove, I mean, it's hard to move, but move um, Zach Edie away from the basket as much as possible where he's getting his post touches. And that's what creates effective doubles. So it was the doubles that was good against Zach Edie the first time. But it was also Julian Reese in, in single coverage to start of his positioning with Zach Eady. And that's just going to be so important. He's going to get some help. It's just, it's inevitable. But also Maryland staff and him being smart while remaining aggressive um, in terms of when he does get in foul trouble, that's going to be really important. I'm not expecting a 19-point performance again from him. But the physicality um, that he showed the first time against Zach Eady, if he can replicate even just 75% of that, um, they're they're going to be in for success. It's it's just a tough it's just a tough game to predict because the other part of it of it is for me, which takes the juice out of it a little bit too, is not only is Purdue moved to three in the country, they're off a loss. Two or and three. So they, excuse me. Two or three losses too. So it's not it's not like they're playing their best ball coming in. Yeah, they're not playing particularly well, but they're also they're not desperate in the sense so like they're easily going to run away with with the Big Ten. They should at least in terms of the regular season title. But this team needs to kind of turn around. You want to play your best basketball going to March. So they are desperate in that sense where they're coming off a loss. So beating one of the best teams in the country in general is really hard. Beating one of the best teams in the country off a loss is even harder. And, you know, they they were on the road at Northwestern Sunday, and now they're going to be on the road um, in College Park on Thursday. I don't know their schedule if they're going back home to Purdue in between that, but playing two games with that much travel, back-to-back road games, is really tough in the conference, so that favors Maryland, but this is still going to be a desperate Purdue team, and, and beating this team two times in a row, like having this having this team off a loss is what I'm trying to say, is going to be tough. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be tough as well. However, um, you know, it coming off the loss definitely not only takes the juice out of it like you said they're you know the 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 theory of due you know they're due for for a win here against Maryland but you know I'm I'm going to view it as independent events here in, in this prediction and, and we'll get to it I think Maryland's got to feel good about their their chances I think both teams do I think it's you know going to be another one of those low scoring games like we saw in West Lafayette um, I'm not sure it's going to be you know beautiful offensive basketball but look I'm 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 just excited to be in that that arena um, when that atmosphere is, is rocking and, and it's, it's going to be tough, you know, for, for both sides to get a win here. Yeah. The thing is, well, first off, there's been so many court stormings in the college basketball, like literally every night. I feel like I'm watching. There's just so many court stormings and if Maryland wins, I'm sure there'll be another court storming just like Northwestern did this past Sunday when they beat Purdue. Um, that was just a separate thing that came to my head. What's, what's, what's more important here is um, this Purdue team, 
I don't think is great, like at all. Like I am willing to put a large wager on the fact with that this Purdue team does not win the Big Ten title um, when the tournament comes around in early March. And I, I would put a large wager on the fact that this Purdue team is not in the Final Four. I don't think this Purdue team is set up to make a deep run. They're so, their supporting cast is so inconsistent from night to night where, where in a Big Ten tournament where you're playing every single day or in the NCAA tournament um, where, you're, where you're playing consecutive games and really tight games. I don't trust the supporting cast to get it done. And it's hard to just win when you have to rely on your big man as much as they rely on Zach Eady, even though he is that dominant and he's the national player of the year. So it wouldn't shock me if this Maryland team beats Purdue. I, I think it would surprise me a little bit just based off the circumstances of the game, but it wouldn't shock me if this Maryland team puts together a perfect game plan and beats Purdue. I mean, we've seen teams beat them. I really don't think this Purdue team is very good. Like, the, the, I think it more speaks to the nature of college basketball right now where there's so much parity um, up top, why this team is, is a top three team, and maybe kind of the mediocreness of the Big Ten. Because I don't know what your thoughts are on this Purdue team, but I don't see there's any way they win the Big Ten tournament title putting up three straight great performances or making a deep run in March. No, yeah, I, I don't think they'll win the Big Ten tournament. I, I think, you know, it helps look at a double bye. When I think they're going to, you know, they'll win at least a game in the Big Ten tournament. Um, uh, but I would pick the field if, if you gave me a Purdue versus the field uh, bet there. I think when it comes to March and the NCAA tournament, I think the supporting cast just hasn't, they're deep and, and each guy kind of has, you know, specific trait that, that kind of fits the puzzle perfectly. But I just, you know, freshman backcourt, I I don't, I don't love them in March. I think it'll, it'll depend what draw they get. Look, cause this is a team that can easily get a very favorable draw and make the final four and, and dominate smaller teams or, or dominate teams that don't have the depth or, or the ability to play with Edie once, you know, their big gets in foul trouble. However, this also is a team that could lose to an eight or nine seed in March um, if if they get matched up with a team that's 10 deep and has a seven footer and, and you know, has a six foot nine guy off the bench that can bang with Edie when he goes out of the game. So um, I'm not sure. Um, I'd, I'd have to see the bracket to really go into depth there. But I, I'm with you. I think this Purdue team, look, they were Purdue was unranked in the preseason, which is crazy to think about at this point. Um, and they were number one for a good amount of time. Well-deserved, by the way, when they were number one, and, and Purdue should have kept that number one spot after losing to Indiana. They don't deserve it now. But, look, this is still probably a top 10 team in the country, top five team in the country um, in most people's eyes. However, I, I, I'm I'm with you. I'm not the biggest believer in, in Purdue. I've watched a lot of Purdue basketball. Um, Edie is, is a special, special player. Um, he's just so much better than he used to be um, from a talent perspective from an ability to stay on the court perspective um just a skill set he, he's gotten so much better um and and he's someone that they could ride to really deep in march or he's someone that you know could have a really good game in march and the rest of the team does nothing else so i just yeah, i just think definitely that, a polarizing team i just think that like when when you look at this the formula for beating this purdue team it's it's you really just double ed and make sure like he kicks out to his supporting cast and you let your you make his supporting cast beat you like you're you're throwing as many bodies as possible at Zach Eady, and eventually he's going to get worn down throughout a game, throughout a stretch of a few games in a tournament setting. Um, eventually he's going to get worn down, and I think this Maryland team is going to have a great game plan for this Thursday's game, and I think they're a perfect team to upset them. But they're going to have to shoot the ball well from three, and I don't, that's not shooting 25 attempts and making 15 of them. That's shooting 16, 17 attempts, but shooting around 35 to 40 percent from three. If they do that. That's the recipe for success. 
it's going to come down to Maryland's offense. And if, if they can make shots, like it's really, it's really sounds so simple, but it's going to be that simple. If Maryland can win the three point battle um, and shoot the ball at a high rate, then I, I would not be shocked at all if, if they pull off this upset, but it's, it's, it's tough. I don't know. Do you want to give a projection? Yeah, I'll give my prediction. Um, yeah, I've, I've been kind of wavering back and forth with this. Um, and I think the Purdue loss against Northwestern threw a little bit of a, fork in the road on, on what my prediction was going to be, but I, I think I'm going to stick with it. I think Maryland's going to win. Um, I think Maryland's just been so dominant at home outside of that UCLA game, but in, in big 10 play, they've been unbeatable eight, no at home and, or excuse me, seven, no at home in big 10 play uh, three more home games left. I just feel like this is kind of the culmination of it all. Um, that, that freshman backcourt just hasn't done enough for me. Uh, Maryland is going to have a rebound game defensively on the perimeter um, they're going to limit lawyer and Smith, um, you know, freshmen in, in an environment like Maryland. It, it's going to be a, a vintage, vintage Maryland environment um, Thursday night. I think it, it's it's going to be a big help. I think it's going to I think he's going to get his. I think Juju will have a, a good game, not as good as he had against um, ED the first time around. But I think you're going to see a great Jameer Young game. I think you're going to see contributions from Hakeem Hart and Dante Scott in a way where, you know, one of the two is not shooting five threes in the first half. It's going to be a smart, um, you know, very directed game plan that if, if they follow it to a T, it should lead to a victory at home. I'm going to go Maryland by two. Um, Maryland 65, Purdue 63. I think it's coming down to the wire. And, and you know, this is going to be a, a, a non-chalky pick for me. But uh, And I haven't been afraid to pick against Maryland this year whatsoever. I, I just, you know, have have that feel for this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew you were going to go with that pick. <laughs> um, it's a little bit of heart, a little bit of heart. Even if you might be right, there's a little bit of heart in that pick. Yeah, you know maybe, that. maybe. Um, I don't know. It's really tough. It's just, it's it's hard for me to see, to trust Maryland to sh- shoot. Because um, I, I, I trust Purdue to shoot the ball better than they did the first time around. And I just don't trust Maryland to do the same. It's just hard for me to see this team having a good shooting day, even at home. You're right. Maryland looked like complete world beaters at home in conference play for the whole season up until Penn State. Like again, it was a weird noon a Saturday afternoon game, but it was a pack. It wasn't the loudest environment, but it was still a sellout crowd. Um, and and this Penn State team kind of pushed Maryland's button. They didn't look like world beaters at home. Like against Indiana, they even dom- they dominated Indiana. They yeah. dominated Wisconsin. They dominated Nebraska. They dominated these other teams at home. It looked like nobody can come close to Maryland at home. Penn State kind of, Maryland controlled the whole game. Penn State kind of came close to um to Maryland at home. Like I agree, the advantage is going to be huge playing it playing in front of an incredible atmosphere that may be the best of the season. I just don't see Julian Reese replicating a similar performance against um, defensively against Zach Eady. I don't see Maryland don't see Maryland shooting the ball particularly well. I think it's gonna be a really close game. I, I just I think Purdue's the better team, and and I'm gonna especially off a loss like this. It's really hard to beat this Purdue team off a loss. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the better team. I think Purdue wins sixty seven uh, to sixty three. All right, Matt, I'm definitely not faulting you on that one. Um... As long as we both got a close game, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to covering it. And um, look, even if even if Maryland does lose that game um, by single digits, you went toe to toe. If if Maryland competes at home and they lose, I don't think there's anything to, you know, no, absolutely be upset not about if if you if you compete with the team that was viewed as the best in the country at one point and is going to run away with the Big Ten and go toe to toe with them twice, you probably feel 
good about their chances uh, moving forward. And who knows, maybe, maybe there'll be a, a third meeting in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't care what the ranking is. I don't care what if they're going to run away with the Big Ten regular season title. This team isn't like untouchable in Purdue at all. <laughs> They've shown they're very beatable in the last few weeks. Um, so it wouldn't shock me at all if Maryland wins. It would shock me if Maryland gets blown out. Um, how much anticipation there is for this game. Even there was for that UCLA and they ended up getting blown out. But that was a, a tough scheduling game. Maryland's had a five days rest. You know, they haven't played since Saturday. Um, or, or four days rest, I guess that is. But I, So it would shock me if Maryland gets blown out. I think it's going to be a close game. But I still think Purdue edges them out just a little bit. Yeah, we will see. Maryland will be juiced up for this one. Like you said, the five days off. All eyes on Purdue. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's also a good thing that, you know, it's not we're talking about this now and Purdue's on Sunday and Nebraska's on Thursday because that would have been a classic look-ahead spot to big game at home. I, th- I think the schedule shaped up nicely here. Team will be well-rested, um, amped, and, and ready to go. Yeah, and then um, after Purdue, like you just said, Maryland is going to go on the road to play Nebraska. Um we won't talk to you before then. I think we both easily think Maryland will win that game. Even though it's a road game, it's another good chance for Maryland to pick up a road win. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, do you, do you disagree? I think we both think that Maryland's going to yeah, win I the think, Nebraska game. I think Maryland will win the Nebraska game. I don't know. I don't think it'll necessarily be easy because Nebraska has competed at home. It took yeah. Purdue to overtime. Um, beat Penn State. I think, they, I think they've, yeah, beat Penn State. Did they beat Iowa at home too? Um, I could, uh, I could be recently. wrong. Maybe earlier be. in the year. I could be wrong there. Um, yeah, they beat Iowa at home and they beat Ohio State at home. Was you know completely falling off a cliff. And then they just beat Wisconsin um, in overtime at home. Um, so yeah, look, it, Pinnacle Bank in, in Lincoln. That's you know the only show in town. They they certainly care about their Huskers there. Um, I think it'll be a tougher game than, than people may expect, but I, I like Maryland in a close one there. Yeah, um, I got Maryland there too. We should say that. Well, I've picked against Maryland. You've picked Maryland. You've been right way more this season than me. So we'll we'll see how that plays out with Purdue. Um, we got that one on Thursday, and we appreciate everyone listening. And we'll talk to you next week, breaking down the whole Purdue game, the Nebraska game, and then there's only going to be four games left on the on the Big Ten regular season schedule. So we'll we'll talk about all that Maryland's place in the Big Ten standings. Um, but we appreciate everyone listening as always, and we'll talk to you next week.